welcome to Slovo, a podcast of the ATA Slavic Languages Division. I'm Maria Guzenko. You will notice that our show now has a name, Slovo, which means word in many Slavic languages. I would like to start this episode by thanking our previous hosts, Veronica de Michelis and Ekaterina Howard, who started this podcast and kept it going with interesting topics and engaging guests. My hope is to keep the podcast relevant and thought-provoking. Please let me know in the comments if there is something specific you would like to hear about. And now, on with the show. So today, I'd like to welcome Shelley Fairweather-Vega to this podcast. Shelley translates from Russian and Uzbek, four of her translations, novels by authors from Uzbekistan, Kazakhstan, and Belarus, will see publication in 2019 and 2020. Shelley is president of the Northwest Translators and Interpreters Society and head of Fair Vega Russian Library Service. Well, thank you, Shelley. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. I'm happy to be here. Awesome. So Russian is pretty common, of course, among the members of the Slavic Languages Division as a working language, whereas Uzbek is not. So how did you come to learn these two languages and translate out of them? Well, yes, you're right. I think I'm, I may still be the only Uzbek translator um, in the ATA, um, as far as I know. But if there are other people out there, I would love to meet you and talk about Central Asian stuff. Um, so I'm kind of in a niche. Um, I learned Russian first, uh, starting in college. Um, I wanted to be a Cold War historian or a diplomat, so I thought Russian would be a very useful, practical language to learn. Um, and then, um, let's see, after college and working for a little while, I started uh, graduate school at the University of Washington, and they were offering FLAS fellowships for languages of strategic importance. Um, so I got one for Russian, first of all, but then I realized I had sort of used up the Russian classes at the university and I um, chose Uzbek sort of out of the blue as a, a new and interesting thing. Nice. Okay, so you worked with these languages for a while and I know that now uh, you have translated quite a few books. So how did you get your start in literary translation? Yeah, that's right. I started off as a, a technical and kind of business and marketing and legal translator, which is really a good training for me, I think. When I started doing more creative things, I found myself using all the skills I had learned as a, a legal translator or as a, a marketing translator. It's just, um, you know, the same kind of problem-solving skills in translation, the same kind of creativity required, just more of it, um, and for longer projects like books, too. My first book was, um, let's see, the Uzbek author I work with is named um, Hamid Ismailov. Um, he uh, discovered me through a translation I did for free for Translators Without Borders, um, of a short essay by an Uzbek um, political prisoner. Um, um, Hamid contacted me and said, you're the only American I know of who translates from Uzbek, would you like to look at my stories and books? So I started translating his short stories and, um, and then the two novels that have come out um, this year. Wonderful. And uh, I'm very excited that there are novels uh from an Uzbek writer coming out in an English translation. Me because too. I Exactly. <laughs> I have the impression that um, literature from Uzbekistan and another country that you work with, Kazakhstan, is not really represented on the U.S. market. Would you say that is accurate? 
That is accurate. Yeah, we're, we've barely read anything um, from those countries. And a lot of the literature that we do have comes um, through, you know, old translations or Russian translations, but has a certain slant to it um, that we might not get, that, we, that I hope we don't get when we translate directly from Kazakh and Uzbek um, and from contemporary writers who are writing outside of the, the old Soviet system. So there's a few um, projects out this year. I think actually maybe this is the beginning of some kind of Central Asian boom. Um, so besides my uh, three books, um, two from Kazakh or two from Uzbekistan and one from Kazakhstan, we've got um, a novel called *The Dead Wander in the Desert*, which is about the Aral Sea environmental crisis in Kazakhstan, um, published this year, and also a book of um, poetry called *Paper Thin Skin*, um, translated from uh, Russian by a Kazakh poet who writes in Russian. And those are all out this year, which is, you know, 500% more than um, books we've had in previous years from that region. Wow. And so when you work with authors from Kazakhstan, how do you approach that? Do you look at the text in Kazakh or do you look at the Russian translation? Yeah, in Kazakhstan, so I don't, I don't um, know Kazakh um, nearly as well as I know Uzbek. And even my knowledge of Uzbek isn't perfect for sure. Um, but Kazakh and Uzbek are both Turkic languages and they're similar in structure and some of the vocabulary is the same. So when I look at a Kazakh text and I compare it to a Russian translation that's been done well, then I can pick out um, you know, aspects of the original text that I might not have seen if I only had the, the Russian to work with as a bridge translation. So the Kazakh novel that I translated, A Life at Noon, I had the Kazakh original um, a really good Russian translation that had just been made, and I could use both of those um, to translate into English. Very interesting. And why do you think, so you mentioned that it's better to have books translated straight from Uzbek or from Kazakh, if somebody works with it, rather than going through a Russian translation. So what happens, or what might happen, if the translator goes through the Russian translation? Um, well, usually, um, usually it's not a disaster. The differences are usually more subtle. I don't want to discourage, um, you know, Russian translators who only work from Russian from translating literature from this region, because I think the more we have, the better. We can always refine the translations later. But there are um, some, you know, kind of subtle dangers to translating with Russian as a bridge language. Um, there are very practical problems, like just mistakes that might have been made in the translation. We all make um, little mistakes here and there, and those get amplified if you're translating from a translation. Um, you're going to translate the mistakes as well. So in one of um, Hamid Ismailov's books, I, I was very confused about who the narrator was for a while, because in some chapters, um, the narrator, the first person narrator, referred to his son, and in other ch chapters, the narrator referred to his daughter. And I thought, well, maybe these must be different people narrating the book in different, different sections. But it turned out that that was, in fact, um, a translation error in the Russian version. The Russian translator had mistaken an Uzbek word that just means child uh, for son, and in other places knew that it was a daughter. Um, so it was actually the same child the whole time. It was always a daughter, and it was just one narrator. Um, but I wouldn't have known that if I hadn't had the Uzbek version to look back at. Oh, wow. Um, so things like that can happen. Um, and then there's the more subtle things. Um, you know, Russia was a, a colonial power in Central Asia for, for a century or more, depending on the region. Um, and Russian uh, translators naturally have certain stereotypes and biases in their heads about Central Asian people and Central Asian stories um, that are going to come through in their translations and that we translators in English might 
kind of unknowingly transmit if we take those take those points of view for granted. So I think it's always better to look back at the original language. And then you also get, you know, the music of the language too. There's, you know, poetry in there, there's alliteration, there's wordplay that uh, chants that are into Russian might have skipped over or not noticed or not known what to do with. But if we see it in Kazakh or Uzbek, we can um, work with it directly and try to get that through into the English translation. Nice. So you mentioned uh, working on some books from uh, Uzbek recently and a few others from Russian. So could you tell us a little bit more about your recent translation projects? Sure. So I mentioned A Life at Noon. That was a book called Taltus in Kazakh. And that's by um, the author Talisbek Asamkulov. Um, he passed away recently, but he was a traditional musician in Kazakhstan. And the book is sort of his um, a fictionalized memoir of his. It's his life story, basically, about growing up on a collective farm in Kazakhstan um, in the 1960s, um, where he went to a Soviet school and learned sort of party line history. But then at home, he learned the history of his country and his people and of Kazakh music and culture um, through his, uh, his parents and his friends and all the old men in the village. So a lot of the book is people sitting around drinking tea, um, playing music and telling stories about the past. So I learned a lot transmitting that book. Um, the two novels by Hamid Ismailov, the Uzbek writer, um, are called Gaia, Queen of Ants. That's coming out this month or next from Syracuse University Press. And Of Strangers and Bees, which came out in October from Tilted Axis Press. Um, and those are two very different stories, but they have a lot of kind of Hamid Ismailov trademarks in them. Lots of magic, lots of um, politics and corruption, um, and some pretty dark themes. So those three books are very different from each other, but at least they're all from Central Asia. Right. The other book I'm working on right now, which we hope to publish next year, um, is completely different. It's the book from Belarus that you mentioned. Um, it's by Olga Gramiko, um, and the working title is The Astrobiologists. Uh, and it's supposed to be a very funny story about space pirates and um, exploring an alien planet and searching for treasure. Completely different. Yeah, wow, that is very versatile. <laughs> and, and so you mentioned some of the authors whose work you have translated are still living and others have passed away. So what is it like working with an author or let's say their literary executors? Um, do they give you any feedback or input? You know, it varies from author to author, but I've been lucky to work with some um, really great uh, people who obviously they care about their work. And it takes a lot of trust for an author to put their, you know, their baby, their book or their story in the hands of a, um, a translator, somebody they don't know, somebody from another culture um, who's going to sort of have their way with it and turn it into something different in a different language. But my authors have all been really great to work with. Um, I mean, as my love, for example, um, uh, reviewed my drafts as I went along um, of his Uzbek books and answered questions for me, filled in some gaps in my understanding. But he never commented on the, my English choices. He sort of left that to me as my expertise. Um, and other authors also are available to answer questions, um, to uh, check through the work. Um, I worked with an author named Anna Sverdlik, um, who's a Russian-Israeli uh, neuroscientist, and we published um, her book on math and abstract thought um, a couple of years ago. And she reviewed my work very carefully, chapter by chapter, and asked questions about commas and questions about articles and all these things. Um, so that process is, can be 
sort of infuriating because it means you have to do all the same work again and explain all your choices to the author. But on the other hand, if you can't explain your choices as a translator, and if you can't justify every choice you make, then maybe you're not thinking well enough about the work you're doing. So it's a good exercise for us translators, I think, to get our work checked very carefully by somebody who cares as much as the original author cares. Yeah, no, definitely. You know, this is a, a good rule of thumb to follow. And I think my final question is going to be, so for emerging translators or those who are still students, still studying, let's say, Slavic languages or Russian in particular, would you recommend, you know, would you recommend that they explore Central Asia and Central Asian languages as a potential, you know, venue for their studies and careers? Oh, definitely. Yeah. If you're interested in learning another language, then um, I certainly recommend studying a, a Turkic language or another language from Central Asia. There's a lot going on there in the creative world, um, and it's sort of untapped, like we said before. Not a lot of translations happening yet. Not a lot of authors are known yet, but there's a lot of things to explore. That's awesome. That's, uh, that's one way to get ahead of the curve, you know, get in before it really takes off in the U.S., it's true. Yeah, this is an exciting time right now. So now's the time, I think. I mean, it's never too late to learn a new language and read new things, but now is an especially good time, I'd say. Great. So we were talking to Shelley Fairweather Vega. Thank you, Shelley, for joining us. Thank you. It was a pleasure. This was Slovo, a podcast of the ATA Slavic Languages Division. We hope you follow us on your favorite streaming platform. Until next time. I'm Maria Guzenko.